beloveds, and welcome to The Word is Resistance, a weekly podcast hosted by Showing Up for Racial Justice. In this podcast, we explore the readings from the Christian Bible assigned for the week in the Revised Common Lectionary, focusing on what they are showing us of God's dream of liberation and flourishing for all creation. In the context of empire, white supremacy, and a culture of domination and oppression, we come together to wonder how these ancient texts might inspire decolonial, anti-racist, and liberatory spiritual practices and faith-filled living for such a time as this. I'm Dr. Sharon Fenema, and I serve as the curator of Join the Movement Toward Racial Justice, an anti-racism initiative of the United Church of Christ. I use she and her pronouns and am recording this podcast from my home, which rests on the unceded and ancestral lands of the Ohlone people, who continue to lay down prayers and raise up life on this ground in what is known as Oakland, California. I'm honored to contribute to this podcast, which is geared toward white Christians like me, who are searching for ways to resist racism and dismantle white supremacy. We recognize that as white Christians, we have particular work to do in resisting the logics of supremacy, which we benefit from and are implicated in, even as it shows up in our theologies and practices. My hope is that this anti-racist and decolonial work will form us and prepare us to follow the leadership of those most impacted by racism, colonialism, and other forms of oppression to reimagine and build a new world. The live recording of Dr. Vincent Harding's song for the freedom movement used throughout the podcast is of a multiracial movement choir practice in Denver, Colorado in December of 2014, being led by Minister Daryl J. Walker. We are deeply grateful to the Freeney Harding family for letting us use this song for this podcast. As we begin our exploration of the scripture reading for today, I want to invite us to ground ourselves in the solidarity of prayer using these words by Howard Thurman. Open unto me light for my shadows. Open unto me courage for my fear. Open unto me hope for my despair. Open unto me peace for my turmoil. Open unto me joy for my sorrow. Open unto me wisdom for my confusion. Open unto me tenderness for my toughness. Open unto me love for my hates. Open unto me thyself for myself. Lord, Lord. Open unto me. reading assigned for this week from the Gospels comes from Luke 10, verses 38 through 42. Take a listen to this familiar story about Jesus as he travels with his disciples. Now as they went on their way, 
Jesus entered a certain village where a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. She had a sister named Mary who sat at Jesus' feet and listened to what he was saying. But Martha was distracted by her many tasks. So she came to him and asked, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to do all the work by myself? Tell her then to help me. Jesus answered her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and distracted by many things. There is need of only one thing. Mary has chosen the better part, which will not be taken away from her. I have to admit to you from the start that I really struggle with this passage from Luke. I've never really been able to loosen it from the way I heard it preached for much of my life, where it was used to pit Mary against Martha and laud Mary as the true disciple because she sat and listened to Jesus. Somehow, preachers always managed to denigrate the care work that Martha was providing as lesser, less holy, less Jesus-y, less faithful, just like our patriarchal society has done and continues to do with care work. These same sermons often became an opportunity to celebrate the contemplative, thinking, reflective life of faith over the active, practice, embodied life of faith. Spiritual versus practical, theological versus embodied. Replicating dichotomies that have often served the oppressive power, white supremacy, imperialism, and patriarchy. Frankly, I just really get annoyed with Jesus here. I mean, sure, eat Martha's food, enjoy her hospitality, and then tell her Mary is actually doing it right. Come on, Jesus. Really? So, I'm exceedingly grateful to our current series on the word as resistance that pointed me toward disability justice as a lens for dialogue with the scripture, because it has opened up this story in a new way to me asking what can we learn about the stories from Luke by centering disability justice as our interpretive lens, got me to thinking, what if Mary was choosing what was right for her body that day? What if sitting and listening was the gift that she could offer in that moment? What if that day was a flare-up day and what she really needed was a place to be tender with her aching bones? What if Mary, Mary simply didn't have the spoons to do what Martha was doing that day? If you're not familiar with the term spoons, here's how Leah Lakshmi Piepsna Sarmaran Sinha describes it in her amazing book, Care Work, Dreaming Disability Justice. Spoons is slang created by sick and disabled communities to describe units of energy and capacity, specifically within a sick and disabled context of having a limited amount of energy because of chronic illness or disability, and thus having to make decisions about which tasks do, to do and which to let slide. The concept was created by Christine Miserandino in her essay, The Spoon Theory, posted on her website, But You Don't Look Sick. In her essay, a chronically ill woman attempting to describe what it is like to live with chronic illness pulls out a handful of spoons and uses them as units of energy, relating what it's like to have to carefully count how much energy you expend on daily tasks many able people take for granted. So what if sitting and listening is what Mary had spoons for? 
As I was reading and rereading this passage from Luke, I could not help but think about the letter that Leah writes to Chicana poet, writer, and theorist Gloria Anzaldúa in her book, Care Work. It's entitled, So Much Time Spent in Bed. In it, she recounts how her chronic illness requires stretches of rest, of time spent in bed, which also happens to be where she does much of her creative work and writing. She writes, chronic illness sucks, but oh, there is the secret bliss of bed. Chronic illness may not have made me a writer, but it illuminates my writing life. I can't work a nine to five, but bedtime means dream time. It is so difficult to write both what sucks about disability, the pain, the oppression, the impairment, and the joy of this body at the same time. The joy of this body comes most of all in the hard beauty of this life built around all the time I must spend resting. The bed is the nepantla or in-between place of opening. I wonder if this is close to what Mary experienced as she sat and listened, not only to Jesus, but to her own body. I imagine her wanting to be present, to connect with the community that her family was building and that surrounded Jesus, but determining in what ways she could be present. I see her weighing her capacity. If I help with the food, I won't have enough energy to be present to the conversation later. If I offer other hospitality, I'll be in too much pain to listen. So she chooses the Napantla or in-between place at Jesus's feet to rest and wait for what will open to, to her. When I read the story in this way, it also changes how I encounter Martha. Through a disability justice lens, I recognize in Martha the many voices of racialized capitalism. Our society tells a very particular story about whose bodies, lives, ways of being in the world are valuable, permissible, allowed. When Martha asks Jesus to tell Mary to help her, I hear capitalism saying, you don't look sick. Why don't you stop being lazy and get a real job? In her letter to Anzal Dua, Leah describes these voices this way. Capitalism says that disabled, tired bodies that spend too much time in bed are useless. Anyone who cannot labor to create wealth for owners is useless. People are valued for the wealth they labor to build for capitalism. Crips are useless to capitalism. The same system that supports the logic of slavery and created racialized inferiority in order to justify the exploitation of black bodies, that same system of capitalism understands sick and disabled bodies as disposable, inherently unvalued and unvaluable. And as Will Gaffney reminds us, we are still trying to do church in the midst of enslaving paradigms. Martha speaks from and for that system when she wants to steal Mary's rest, to tell her what she should be doing and to get others to be accomplices in her correcting Mary. Martha is asking Jesus to do the dirty work of racialized capitalism and remind Mary that her worth comes only through being useful. My heart breaks a little when I feel Martha's scarcity in this story. 
I want to call her in. I want to say to her, you don't have to respond to your own overwhelm in this way. This is not a zero-sum game. We can work toward a liberation that means we all get what we need. You don't have to take Mary down a peg to get your needs met. And you don't have to try to get others to do that too. If we pit ourselves against each other, then the system stays in place and the power of dominance continues to hold sway. I want Martha to feel in her body the truth of collective access as Sin's Invalid describes it. We can share responsibility for our access needs. We can ask that our needs be met without compromising our integrity. We can balance autonomy while being in community. We can be unafraid of our vulnerabilities, knowing our strengths are respected. I want to whisper the words of Patty Byrne in Martha's ear. All bodies are unique and essential and all bodies have strengths and needs that must be met. We know that we are powerful not despite the complexities of our bodies, but because of them. I wish that was what Jesus had said to her. But this framework helps me understand Jesus's words a bit differently too. Perhaps Jesus is offering us a model of able-bodied solidarity. He affirms Mary's choice. He honors her decision about what's best for her body. He refuses to be, be made an accomplice to racialized capitalism. He doesn't assume he knows what's best for her and he centers her experience as the one who knows best how to resist these systems, as one who is most impacted by them. And he's willing to stake his reputation, to use his power, to ensure that she continues to be able to do what is best for her body, mind, spirit. When Jesus says, Mary has chosen the better part which will not be taken away from her, I hear him making a commitment and affirming your rest will not be taken away from you. Your bodily autonomy will not be taken away from you. Your ability to choose and consent to how your body is treated will not be taken away from you. Your boundaries will not be taken away from you. Your need for slowness, softness, spaciousness will not be taken away from you. Your crip intelligence will not be taken away from you. Your knowledge of what you need will not be taken away from you. The beauty of your life built around resting will not be taken away from you. Maybe it is Jesus's invitation to all of us to choose this better part, to choose to embody the values and practices of claiming as Leah puts it, this body broken, beautiful, not a liability, but a gift.
For our call to action this week, I turn to disabled multidisciplinary artist and zinester Samir Kanego. I invite you to take some time with his new show, The Divine, Dreams of Disabled Gods, which combines poetry and visual art to explore disability and ableism through the language and imagery of religion. You can find a link to the online exhibit in the transcript of this podcast. An article Samir wrote for Anti-Racism Daily, he gives his own call to action, which offers a profound way to continue your exploration of this week's scripture readings. He says, One thing everyone can learn from disabled people and culture is that there is beauty in being limited and knowing those limits. I use limited rather than limits because limitedness is something all humans are, not just something humans have. Hierarchies of acceptable versus unacceptable limitations have been created arbitrarily through ableist, capitalist expectations around ability. When you feel limited, what do you do with that feeling? Every person can only work for so long, carry so many groceries at once, and process so many emotions at one time. So which are the limits you are comfortable with and why? If you do feel comfortable with limits like the ones I mentioned above, is it because you accept being limited or because you see those as examples of acceptable limitations? Accepting our own limitedness is one step to detaching ourselves from the toxicity of capitalist views of worth. If you are non-disabled, I encourage you to get comfortable with your limits and the limitedness of others. So this week, I invite you to take up Samir's invitation and and explore with Mary your own limitedness and the beauty it holds for you and all you encounter. Thanks, as always, for joining us. We'd love to hear from you by commenting on our SoundCloud or Twitter or Facebook pages or filling out the survey on our podcast page at surge.org. Give us a like or rate us on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you check out our podcast. You can find out more about Surge at surge.org, where you can sign up for Surge Faith updates and find transcripts for every episode, which include references, resources, and action links. Next week, we'll have a resistance word from Reverend Sarah Howell Miller. And finally, a huge thanks to our sound editor, Claire. As we close out our time together, I want to invite us to engage in a breath prayer created by Cole Arthur Riley. With the spirit who dwells in and affirms our complex bodies, broken, beautiful, let us breathe together. I can honor what I need. Exhale. My boundaries are holy. I can honor what I need. My boundaries are holy. I can honor what I need. My boundaries are holy.